0: Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, that, with the NXT Deadline Instant Analysis Edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast that's right getting over is back once again and it is saturday night just moments after nxt deadline not only nxt but wwe's final premium live event of 2022 went off the air and yes the silver king is here as always to break down every single thing that went down on the show now given this is an instant analysis edition of the getting over wrestling podcast we try not to waste any time off the top so allow me to quickly remind you that this show is all about the So please head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings for us on Apple. Take a few moments. Leave a five-star written review as well. Let everyone know why you listen. Tell them why they should subscribe. The ratings, reviews, super helpful, super important. Please go ahead and do that for us. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, analysis, news, conversations during all premium live events, pay-per-views, and television shows. And we also post pre- and post-show polls around those special events that allow you to get your voice heard on the podcast. And we will certainly get to that later in the show. Normally, this is the part of the show for these special instant analysis podcasts where I crack open a cold one. I enjoy a adult beverage, if you will. But unfortunately, given I am the only one speaking tonight, there is no vintage Chris Vanini joining for this instant analysis. There's not really an opportunity for me to pause that often and take a swig. Therefore, I will just let you know the drink I will be having once this show concludes while I actually edit this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And that will be a Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Blueberry Wheat Beer brand new uh, flavor, I guess you could say, coming out of... Uh, that Kentucky Brewing Company, which by the way, if you've never had their stuff, their signature beer, the Kentucky Bourbon Barrel Ale, delicious. And they have so many different variations now. Vanilla, they have a tangerine vanilla one. I think they have a chocolate one that's dark. It's awesome. I have never had a single bad beer from that Kentucky uh, Bourbon Barrel Company or whatever the hell their actual name is. So if you see those on the store shelves, buy him, don't think twice about it. Anyway, that will be consumed later while I am editing the show, so you'll know if the Silver King makes any mistakes why that happened. But here, we are just going to roll right into NXT deadline. Of course, we gave you the ultimate preview on Thursday. On that episode, we also, of course, talked about AEW on this past Tuesday's episode. We broke down everything that happened this past week in WWE, so be sure listen to those episodes if you happen to miss them previously. But here, of course, we are gonna be breaking down NXT Deadline, every single match on the card. We're gonna review the matches, we're gonna grade them, uh, we're gonna give you our predictions going forward for some NXT storylines, and then recap the entire show with a final grade for NXT Deadline. Now, what's the number one topic, I would say, coming out of NXT Deadline, really is the Iron Survivor Challenge, which was a signature match, brand new stipulation match that debuted at this show, there were two of them, one for the women, one for the men. And just a quick recap of what the rules are so you understand what I'm talking about as I break it down. So the rules were like this each match was 25 minutes. The most falls won. So it was Iron Man match style. There were five wrestlers with one wrestler entering every five minutes after the first two, of course, started the match. Points could come via pinfall, submission, or disqualification. And if you lost a fall, you would go into a penalty box for 90 seconds and be unable to compete. So by the basis of, you know, the order of the match, it seemed like if you got an opportunity to be in the match earlier, that would give you a greater opportunity to score more falls. Whereas if you came in later, you would have a shorter period of time in the match, but you would be fresher. And that certainly played out as part of the storytelling for these matches over the course of the show. So the way we are gonna start NXT Deadline, we usually work with the main event when we do the instant analysis and we work you know, down the card, I guess is probably the best way to say it. Here, we're not gonna do that because at least for me, and it is my show, so I do get to decide how I break down uh, NXT Deadline. For me, the main event of the show wasn't all that important. What really made the biggest impact for NXT, and I would even say the wrestling world as a whole, just because it's a brand new match type that was introduced, it was the Iron Survivor Challenge matches. So what we're gonna go ahead and do is we're gonna break down both of those. Then we're gonna cover the two title matches on the show. And then there was also a women's singles match as well that we will talk about. So no more wasting time. We're getting right into the NXT deadline incident analysis. And we're gonna start the way the show started with the Women's Iron Survivor Challenge. Cora Jade, Zoe Stark, Kiana James, Roxanne Perez, and Indy Hartwell were the five women in this match. As I mentioned, this opened the show. Perez and Stark wrestled really well. They were the first two in, but they didn't get a fall until James entered third. Roxy, she took a ton of punishment. She got her head stomped on the steel steps. Then she went on a run, but Stark caught her with the Z360 for the first point. So Roxanne took the first fall, and Stark earned the first point. Jade taunted Perez upon entering fourth. So Roxy, once her door opened to the penalty box, she beat Cora's ass. Uh, Cora broke up Pop Rocks with a super kick and rolled up Kiana for the next point. Roxy tried to submit Cora while she tried to submit Zoe simultaneously, with Stark helping Jade not tap, which was a really cool spot. Hartwell entered last, fifth, with only Stark and Jade holding single points. Everyone else had zero. She quickly booted Perez in the chest and got a point. Roxy took her second time out in the penalty box. James hit the most impressive move probably of her career, hopping Onto the barricade from like a running start and then immediately jumping backwards and hitting a moonsault onto Stark. Zoe gave Roxy a forearm to the face, but Perez countered the Z360 into a trap pinning combination to get her first point. Everyone at this at this moment in the match, except Kiana, had one point and there were six minutes left. And that is really where business picked up. Stark went on a great run that Perez stopped with a running uppercut and a tope suicida. Zoe dodged that and instead Indy ate it. Stark hit a springboard crossbody onto the other women outside with three minutes left. There were trading finishers and signature moves, with Roxy hitting Pop Rocks on Cora to take the lead with two minutes left in the match. Perez countered a Hartwell powerbomb with a hurricanrana over the ropes. That opened the door for someone else to get a fall. Jade returned with 25 seconds left running out of the box as James hit Stark with an avalanche Spanish fly, which was another crazy impressive move from Kiana. But there were multiple fall attempts, they all failed, and Cora hit Roxy with a DDT just as time expired, making Perez the first Iron Survivor, winning with two points over Stark, Hartwell, and Jade, who each had one, and then James, who did not score at all. Uh, Booker T was really emotional after the bell, given he trained Roxy, who was Rock Roxy, uh, at Reality of Wrestling, which is his independent promotion and training center. So he was super emotional, he literally teared up. You could see him put his uh, head in his hands, crying. And you could just kind of feel that emotion while Roxanne was celebrating. And the crowd was cheering for her because really, when you look at the women's match and the men's match, like Roxanne was by far the biggest baby face in both matches combined. Yeah, Axiom was in the men's match, but both matches were very heel heavy. There were eight heels, two baby faces. Let Let me change that. Seven heels, Two baby faces and one tweener, with the tweener being Indy Hartwell. Now, I thought there was a chance that the men's match would open the show. I figured they would want it to set the tone of what Iron Survivor is going to look like. So I was pleasantly surprised to see the women put in this spot instead. And to be the first iteration of the match, it really exceeded my expectations. Now, we're going to discuss the details of the match style, my takeaways on the Iron Survivor Challenge itself. We'll talk about that after the men's match. But as far as the booking goes here, it was clearly the right move to put Roxy over. She's the one who got screwed out of the title with Mandy Rose because of Corey Jade. And of all the women involved in this match, she has the highest ceiling out of all of them. She was also, as I mentioned, the only pure babyface in a match where the winner was going to fight a dominant heel champion. And you really don't necessarily want to give that to a tweener and certainly not another heel. So it made the most sense for Roxy to win. And I do hope that this is the last straw for Indy in NXT, and she now gets called up to the main roster. She links with Candice LeRae over on Raw, because it just makes the most sense. She doesn't win anything. She lost this. I guess, theoretically, given we saw her butt heads with Mandy Rose You could do something where Roxy doesn't win the title and then Indy becomes number one contender and she's the one who beats Mandy Rose at either uh, Vengeance Day or Stand and Deliver. But at this point, I just, I don't think we can wait that long for Mandy Rose to drop the title. So yeah, I, I just really, I think that Roxy will probably be the one to take the championship off of Mandy Rose. Going back to the match, Zoe was the MVP by a really good margin. When you consider that she was the oldest competitor in this match, and then you know she's only 28, I mean, wow, right? The future is really bright for the women in NXT, and like I said, Stark, she was that, like, that steel pole in the middle that everything else revolved around. She was the glue that made this match work because of her skill, because of her experience, and just because she worked well with every woman individually and also set them up for success. James, Kiana James, had easily her best match in NXT with two really impressive moves that I already mentioned. Where the hell has this been hiding with her? And and then you remember the gimmick that she has, which I hate because it's so freaking corny and, and it's from the 80s or, or early 90s, And you just say, if they gave her a better gimmick, something she could really chew on, they have someone who is really not getting the recognition or respect that maybe she actually deserves because of the gimmick and because we haven't really seen her do this in the ring before. So it was a big standout moment for Kiana James. All in all, this was quite good. It's not necessarily what I would call a great match, which to me is four stars or better, but it was an extremely strong start to the show. And a great job in terms of introducing the Iron Survivor Challenge to a large audience watching it for the first time. So I went 3.75 stars and a B plus for the match. Really no complaints whatsoever. But you know, could it have been better? Sure. If you used, you know, uh, Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley and, uh, and Becky Lynch and all that, then yeah, you're talking about a you know four five four seven five you know A plus type of match. Uh, But for the lacking experience here, for them to put on a B-plus match, the first time ever that a match concept has been utilized and to be the first people to ever be in that match, given there were two on the show, I mean, you can't be anything but impressed about what the women did at NXT deadline. So with that, let's move to the men's Iron Survivor Challenge. Carmelo Hayes, JD McDonough, Grayson Waller, Joe Gacy, and Axiom were in this match. McDonough and Axiom started with JD hitting a great twisting clothesline Liger bomb for a near fall. Mello entered third, no points were scored at that point. Uh, Mellow ate a double superkick and then got Uranagied onto Axiom during an inverted DDT from JD. And then Mello hit a twisting cutter on JD who fell onto Axiom and then Mello covered Axiom for the first point. I know that sounds convoluted, but if you actually watch the sequence... It was absolutely ridiculous. Mello and JD had a minor botch on a Spanish fly with Mello landing on the side of his head, but he was okay. He was able to continue. Waller came in fourth. He immediately ran into the ring and hit his double rolling cutter is what it would normally be, but he did one cutter and one DDT. He pinned JD, then he pinned Axiom consecutively and he got two points, which was a really sick and smart spot. Waller then countered an apron punt kick with a stunner. When the penalty box opened, JD held Axiom by the tights, so he re entered the penalty box, closed the door, drilled McDonough into the glass, slammed the door on him. Waller then threw Axiom into the plexiglass, backdropped Mellow onto the announce table, and screamed at Booker T, Who's in your five now, bitch? Because Booker always talks about his fave five. Axiom caught Waller distracted with a Hurricane pinning combination. Then he hit JD with a Canadian destroyer and golden ratio for two straight points. So all of a sudden it was Waller 2, Axiom 2, Mellow 1. Gacy entered last. He submitted Axiom right away. Then he caught Melo with his handspring lariat for a second point. JD closed the door on Axiom when he was free to exit. So Axiom climbed to top the box and moonsaulted three guys off of it as Melo exited and locked Waller in a crossface. Everyone now had two points except for JD who had none with five minutes left. Melo broke a submission with Booker's scissors kick. JD caught Melo flying with a headbutt plus devil inside. Then he did the same thing to Gacy and the same thing to Waller who was running in from the box, but all of them either got broken or he got pulled off or something like that and he ended up with zero points despite hitting his finisher three times in succession. JD found himself in the center of the ring. He ate four stereo super kicks because everyone hated him. Gacy urinagied Waller into the steps, but butterfly uh, submission attempts on Melo and Axiom both got broken. Axiom hit a springboard rotating DDT on JD, but Mello caught him with the flying leg drop broken by Waller, who then immediately covered Axiom for the third point with 30 seconds left. And then with those 30 seconds, Mello chased Waller around the ring, trying to catch him as the clock expired with Waller winning with three points. Mellow, Gacy, and Axiom all had two, and JD had none. So as you can tell based on that breakdown, this was an incredible match. Straight up, top-tier wrestling, really smart storytelling. Many of the competitors utilized the rules to their advantage and considered the rules when making their decisions. There was a spot in the match where Waller was, I think, in the butterfly with Gacy and he tapped really quickly because he wanted to get into the penalty box so he could come out of the penalty box and get more falls, which was just really, really smart storytelling. And again, a utilization of the rules as part of the match story that you're building And also, you know, telling what these characters all, the way they're approaching the match, right? Because who going into this match was the quote-unquote smartest person in the room? J.D. McDonough. You know what J.D. did numerous times during the match? He let his passion and anger get the best of him and didn't make the smart move, particularly when it came to Axiom. So obviously that's a few that likely will continue coming out of this. We also got the right winner in Waller. I'm not saying... He was the only right winner, but there were two guys, I think I said, in the match who could win and come out of it and would make a lot of sense. One was Waller and the other was Carmelo Hayes. Now, I did predict Mello, but Waller, like I said, was the proper second choice because he was someone there who has yet to actually challenge the champion. All that praise aside, I will maintain that the finish made Mello look dumb. So Axiom got pinned. He's eliminated. He can't get pinned. So that's understandable but Mello could have tried pinning JD or Gacy. Instead, he used his final seconds, final 30 seconds, chasing Waller around the ring. Now I saw an argument that some of you tweeted me. Well, he did that because if he didn't, then anyone else he tried to pin, Waller could have just broken the fall like he just did with Axiom. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. If it is true, let's say Waller did plan to do that, Well, guess what happens if Melo is trying to pin someone in the middle of the ring and Waller runs into the ring to try to break it up. Guess who is now in the ring with Melo? The guy he wants, Waller. So he gets an opportunity then to beat him. Instead, chasing him around the ring, just the clock's ticking down. And that's extremely foolish instead of having him come to you and create the opportunity. Now, I know it's kayfabe, right? I know we're not judging Mello as if he's an athlete who like made a really dumb decision in the moment. And who knows, maybe NXT on Tuesday, Mello's gonna sit there, man, that was stupid. I should have just done this. Very, very possible, right? Maybe he made a boneheaded move in kayfabe. But when we look at it from a reality standpoint, you know, there's no deduction of points. So pinning Waller was irrelevant. Waller did pull JD McDonough out of the ring. But when Melo got out of the ring, GD was at his feet. All he had to do was throw him back inside, hit his leg drop, and then if Waller came in to try to prevent a fall, then you make an attack on Waller and you try to pin him. So I just thought it would have been better to let Waller break the falls, even in kayfabe. Have Waller break multiple falls that Melo is trying to make and cost Melo the win and keep himself in the advantage rather than Melo just chasing this guy around, which again, to me it just came off dumb and it was only the final 30 seconds of the match. So I'm not going to take a 25 minute match and like knock it all the way down. Cause I didn't like, I don't even know what percentage that is. it is. It's a very small percentage of time in the entire match. Nevertheless, I did think that it could have been done better. All in all though, the match was great. Despite not getting a single fall, JD was the MVP of the entire thing. Axiom was fantastic. He continues to impress every single time he gets to wrestle Gacy had the best match of his NXT career. He was very much in the Kiana James role where someone I was like, I really don't want them in the match. They're not going to do a great job. Ends up really impressing me. Waller was a great shit-eating weasel throughout the entire thing. Stealing falls, you know, getting people pissed off, especially at the end when he was like really excited to have won. And there was a camera shop of all the other guys staring at him, just like wanting to kick the shit out of him, right? It was really, really cool. And then the booking of Mello. It was theoretically smart in terms of him getting the first fall, then losing the advantage, evening it up, and then only coming up short in the end. It does seem like it could potentially be the start of a babyface transition for him. And if so, that would make a lot of sense, at least to the degree of if someone takes the title off Breaker before Mello gets the opportunity to. When we go into a Braun Breaker-Melo feud, if that does happen, you do have to wonder... You know, does it make the most sense for both of them to be babyfaces given, and spoiler alert, we saw what happened with Braun and Apollo Crews later in the show. So we'll have to see if it's a babyface turn, if it's more of a tweener turn, or if it's just he's going to get even more pissed off and become even more of a heel. And maybe he costs Waller the title match and, you know, is just still in that role. We'll have to find out. Not exactly sure, obviously. Now, in terms of a grade, I will say this was on the verge of an A+, and it would have gotten there with a better finish but I'm still extremely high on it, 4.5 stars and an A. Really the strategic storytelling for me took this to a higher level beyond being a culmination of spots. And there were a lot of spots in this match, but all of it was done in a way that it made complete sense within the storyline and within the strategy being put forth by numerous competitors in the match. So Again, uh, to wrap up the Iron Survivor challenges, both matches, extremely good. I would say the men's match was great. It did cross that threshold. In terms of the stipulation itself, the Iron Survivor stipulation, I do have some thoughts coming out of it. Uh, So despite it being 25 minutes, both matches actually felt like relative sprints. And it's kind of fair to wonder whether adding five more minutes and letting The five competitors go 15 at the end instead of 10 is perhaps more ideal, especially when you look at the results of the matches and you see the winners only had three points and two points. I'm not saying that someone needs eight points or something like that, but I think it would make sense to have more falls. They didn't get into utilizing the disqualification aspect of the entire thing. Maybe that was part of the rules specifically to prevent people from committing disqualifications, but... You know, it, it, it just felt like with five more minutes, we would have been able to see the the five-way portions of this match, obviously, for five minutes longer, and we probably would have had more to chew on. If they want this match to reach that next level, and Shawn Michaels did talk about it being technical, we'll, t- we'll discuss that in a moment, if you really want this to be like a signature technical match in NXT, then you probably need it to go 30 minutes, which is... A traditional, you know, the Man match can go 60. There's been 30 minute Iron Man matches. It does have that type of traditional match length. And the first change I would make, if given the opportunity, would be to add five minutes and have it go to 30. Now, at first, I thought the penalty box should have been replaced by a point deduction. So instead of, you know, being 90 seconds where you can't compete, you literally lose a point from your total. And I tweeted that early during the women's match. But as that match went on, what I realized, and this is what some of you uh, listeners the getting overheads tweeted at me, because some of you agreed, some of you didn't, the anticipation of someone getting out of the box and their ability to run into the ring and break up a fall or steal a fall the way Grayson Waller did, that element absolutely adds to the match. It adds a significant level of excitement. Whereas deducting a point, someone just lays there, they're pissed off, and then they keep fighting. So I was very wrong about that, and I'm certainly willing to admit it. I do think a point deduction system, though, would have made the men's finish more sensible with Mello chasing Waller to steal his point that he just acquired. So in that situation, it would have worked. But yes, overall, for the vast majority of the show, or for, I'm sorry, the vast majority of both matches, I do agree the penalty box concept was necessary. And it did add significantly to the excitement, especially later in the matches when the falls became multiple and you had a couple people in the boxes at the same time, especially during the men's match. Now, all the competitors in both matches, they were color coded on the bottom of the screen. So there was a scoreboard on the screen the entire time, which was great. It really helped you keep track of the match. And every single competitor had a different color. You know, someone was green, purple, yellow, whatever the case. And one of our listeners suggested that the color should match the wrestler's ring gear. That way people could keep better track of it. I like the idea, but not the execution. I think that would be a little tough to accomplish. What they could do is all wear a color armband with the number of their entry on it. So, you know, for example, JD McDonough would be purple and it would say one, meaning he's the first person in the ring and he's purple. So if you're just watching the match and you see a purple guy, covering the yellow guy to get a fall, you look down, you know who it is immediately. So I I think just an armband, something very simple like that would really kind of help keep that scoring together. It also doesn't distract from like the wrestling gear that whatever the person wants to wear. It doesn't detract, I should say, not distract, detract. It's it's midnight Eastern here, I'm exhausted. Okay, give me a break. Uh, It doesn't fully detract from whatever gear they want to wear. And yet it adds a little element of flash. It also is another signature while you're watching the match that reminds you that it's different and that it's important. I just think that would work really well. But all in all, I will say the Iron Survivor Challenge, it is definitely a successful new match concept. It ties elements of previously successful matches together, and it does so in a way that somehow makes them all more exciting. I thought it was great that both matches, the men's and women's, were drastically different. Were the rules a bit convoluted to start? Absolutely. Did the matches deliver? Absolutely. Two thumbs up, but I do think some of the tweaks I mentioned could probably improve the matches for sure. Now, I did listen to Shawn Michaels' post-show press conference, and he said on that that the Iron Survivor Challenge winners will have their matches for their respective titles, the men's and women's, on New Year's Evil, which is going to be an NXT TV special, USA Network, on Tuesday, January 10th. Now, clearly, they're going to try to pop a rating for the show. That's a positive. But I kind of feel like scheduling the title challengers this way kind of reduces the storytelling potential of the winners getting an advantage by deciding when they want to use their number one contenderships. I'm not saying they should be able to cash them in like money in the bank, because Lord knows we do not need any more of that. But for, you know, Roxanne Perez to say, well, I want to fight you in Charlotte at NXT Vengeance Day or for Grayson Waller to say, I want to fight you on TV at New Year's Evil. I don't know why you wouldn't allow them after they went through this ringer, right? Where they, you know, they had to go through five competitors and Roxanne in particular had to last 25 minutes. And now you say, congrats on being number one contender. You don't even get to choose when you want to use it. I think that's a little odd for them to do it. Maybe Sean didn't mean to kind of give that away, but it seemed like it was a promotional tactic by them saying that. So I guess they did. Now, given the scheduling, I do expect Roxanne Perez to beat Mandy Rose on TV. And then I do expect Braun to retain the title over Waller. I don't see any way they do two title changes on TV in the same show. But how many times have I talked about Roxanne Perez or anyone, I'm sorry, any woman on the roster, Alba Fire, Roxanne Perez, Indy Hartwell, Zoe Stark. How many times have I thought, Mandy Rose is going to lose the title. And at this point, you look at it and you're like, well, there's three events coming up where she can lose it. She can lose it at New Year's Eve on TV. She can lose it at Vengeance Day, which I believe is Saturday, February 4th. That's gonna be in Charlotte. The first travel uh, NXT premium live event since Stand and Deliver last year. And just the second since NXT Portland in 2020. So second in three years pretty crazy. You have her lose it there in front of a crowd that's paying you know, money. They're buying tickets to see the show. Or you hold it all the way to Stand and Deliver WrestleMania weekend. I don't think anyone could actually stand her being champion through Stand and Deliver. And I'm not saying that to be insulting to her. It's just the rain has gone on forever and everyone is exhausted of it. So I do think it has to be New Year's Evil or uh, Vengeance Day. And It just kind of feels like she should be the one to knock off Mandy Rose at this point. Yes, she's young. I wouldn't put the title on her. I would probably have already given it previously to Alba Fire. And maybe you could let Roxy win it off her, you know, six months down the line or something like that. But yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and predict, I guess, if we wanna use the terminology. Roxy to beat Mandy Rose at New Year's Evil. That way I can be like 0-8 on my Mandy Rose match predictions. So be it. Uh, Sean also noted on this uh, post-show press conference that they did make Iron Survivor once they learned War Games was going to the main roster. They wanted a replacement type of special match for this show. And they also wanted to do a more technical match to avoid the weapons that are so heavily featured, not just in War Games, but that were featured in NXT Halloween Havoc back in October. So they wanted to do something different. And because of all that, again... I just think it was really successful. So congratulations to Shawn Michaels, NXT, and really whoever came up with that match concept because I think a lot of people doubted it. A lot of people thought it was way too convoluted, myself included. And it completely exceeded my expectations. Super fun matches. And like I said, the men's match was just fantastic. It really was. So let's move to what the actual main event of the show was. That was the NXT Championship Braun Breaker against Apollo Crews. Braun hit a huge topic on Hero with Apollo catching him flying inside with a lifted knee. Then suddenly, Cruz started like huffing and puffing. He closed his eyes, he took a deep breath, and then he opened his eyes really wide before like snapping. He hit Braun with a Death Valley Driver, three German suplexes, a roll-up powerbomb, and two deadlift powerbombs for a couple near falls. Then he added a perfect frog splash for a false finish. Braun took Apollo out of the air with a spinebuster and hit a flying bulldog plus like an almighty spinebuster. Cruz came back catching Breaker with a deadlift pump power slam for a false finish, which was a great move, but no one in the crowd bought that it might end the match. They screamed at each other, and then they brawled twice before Breaker caught Cruz clean with a spear to retain the title in 14 minutes. After the bell, Waller caught Breaker celebrating with his rolling cutter and posed with the title. NXT did the thing where, you know, the the little bug shows up on the bottom of the screen. You think it's over, but it's delayed. And you're like, oh, here we go. Something's going to happen. And it was Waller. So you'll soon hear, you know, when we get to the grading portion of the show, that much of this program exceeded my expectations. This did not. Uh, it was a good wrestling match with a couple of nice sequences. Not one of Braun's best title defenses. Certainly not one of Apollo's best matches. And then the finish came in that really trite manner that I absolutely loathe where two competitors square off and then they brawl for 30, 60 seconds only for a finisher to quickly come. Please stop doing this shit. All wrestling companies, all wrestling brands. It's 2022. Everyone does it. New Japan, AEW, WWE main roster, NXT. Stop. If you do it once a year, okay. They do it all the freaking time. Just let a finish happen in a match, I don't understand why there's a constant need to do this, particularly in championship matches. Because of that, I found the finish to be quite anticlimactic. It was obvious what was going to happen. And for Braun to beat Apollo with a single spear after taking all of that punishment, it's like needlessly overbooking this guy. It's, It's needlessly making him seem stronger than he needs to be, which we've already proven that he can take so much from... You know, J.D. McDonough or Gunther or Tommaso Ciampa or Dolph Ziggler. Like, he's already done this. Apollo Cruz doesn't even really have an established finisher anymore because he's used three or four different ones in his career. I couldn't even pinpoint, like, what really was the false finish in that match. And guess what? The crowd couldn't either. So I was just disappointed by the entire thing. I'm not saying it was bad. It wasn't bad. I went 3.25 stars and a B. Solid match. But, I mean, look, the whole deal with Cruz snapping that had never been established beforehand. And that's despite him being in a blood feud, literally, with Grayson Waller. If you were ever going to establish this part of his character, you would have done it in that match. Now, they probably did it in the moment to make Apollo like the default heel side, quote unquote, in the match. But it seemed clear that many of the fans, like me, were just tired of Breaker being champion. And I know they wanted the final moment with Waller to end the show, but it was not a good idea to put the Men's Iron Survivor Challenge as the penultimate match with the NXT Championship following it. The Men's Iron Survivor was the best thing on the show. You can make an argument there was another title match we'll talk about in a moment. Maybe that was the best thing on the show. But the Men's Iron Survivor was the most exciting, enthralling, electric match on the entire card. And you put it immediately before your main event, which never could have lived up to it but certainly didn't live up to it based on the booking, the short match time. I mean, this was unfortunate card building. And worst of all, it was easily avoidable, but they didn't avoid it. Uh, Braun winning the title, you know, despite me being tired of him, it was the correct decision. Cruz was not built strong enough to replace him as champion after such a long reign that Braun has already had. Waller could theoretically do it because he's like a little shit, but... He seems like the final hurdle for Braun before Mello takes the title. So yeah, for a prediction for Braun, I do expect him to retain at New Year's Evil and Melo eventually beats him for it. I would assume stand and deliver and not Vengeance Day, but who the hell knows at this point uh, with these men's and women's main titles on NXT. Uh, so let's move to the NXT Tag Team Championship. Pretty deadly against New Day. Now there was a New Day backstage promo that I missed because it happened at the same time as the Heisman Trophy was announced, so I apologize for that. I also tried to rewind, but like for some reason I couldn't find that exact moment, so I'll listen to it at some point tonight, and if it changes anything, I'll mention it on Thursday show. I'm sure it was just a promo about them talking about wanting to win the titles, maybe being Triple Crown Champion, something like that. Uh, anyway, as far as the match goes, Kofi Kingston flipped out of a toss in the corner, and then he and Elton Prince twerked in the ring with Kofi literally humping the mat. Xavier Woods caught Kit Wilson flying with a shotgun dropkick, and then hit a flip-up lariat. Kofi then did a huge topegunguro into PD outside, but they ran him into the post. Woods got the hot tag and did a sliding-seated splash on Prince. He did that through the ropes while simultaneously dropkicking Wilson at ringside. Wilson flung himself off of Prince's back for a code breaker on Woods. That was a false finish. When Kingston got involved, PD grabbed the titles. and They did a four-way Eddie Guerrero spot, you know, in terms of where, uh, he throws the title at someone, pretends to have gotten hit, and then hits the canvas. So they did like a full like round robin. It went from one person to the next. They kept trading the titles. They all did the spot. The referee turns around. He's completely confused. Very, very funny. Uh, further distractions allowed Wilson to pop Woods with the title. And it looked like that would end the match, except 2.9 count, false finish, crowded into a frenzy. Kofi prevented spilt milk by pulling Wilson outside the ring and then hitting him with Trouble in Paradise. Then he jumped back inside. Woods hit Snake Eyes on Prince, I believe it was, with New Day combining to hit Up, Up, Down, Down and get the win to take the NXT Tag Team Championships in 15 minutes. This made New Day the third WWE Tag Team Triple Crown Champions in history, joining only the Revival, now FTR, and the Street Profits but they are the first team to ever do it by winning the NXT titles last. And Kofi has now won 15 tag team championships in WWE, which is now the most for an individual competitor, all time breaking the record previously held by Booker T. And it was really nice to see them get accolades given the Usos took their longest reigning tag team champions crown. So you bring them to NXT and you put them over in this way. When you consider all of that, this made a lot of sense. Now, this was a tremendous match. It really only got cooled off by the comedy elements within it. And that's not to say I didn't enjoy the comedy. I mean, the twerking wasn't for me. You just don't need that in a match, but it was also at the very beginning of the match. So it's not like they were going hot and they stopped to twerk, right? Uh, So that I can kind of dismiss. Uh, But the four-way Guerrero spot, I thought it was a bunch of fun given the characters in these teams. And what they're all about and the way they wrestle, you know, pretty deadly, always trying to cheat. New Day making fun of other people and also being really smart as veterans and former champions. And doing that spot also led to a really strong false finish because it's rare that a wrestler actually kicks out of a belt shot unless it's like Roman Reigns or Brock Lesnar or John Moxley or someone like that. Here, you had Xavier Woods kick out of a tag team title shot to the head. And beyond that, the wrestling in this match was fantastic. It was just a ton of fun from bell to bell. There were some great spots going both ways. I did see a couple people kind of overrating this match, saying it was tag team match of the year in WWE. That's not the case. But it was a ton of fun. I went 4.25 stars and an A. And if there were a few less shenanigans, particularly the torquing, and maybe a little bit less comedy throughout, I probably would have been another quarter point higher, but either way, in a match, really strong stuff. As far as the booking, it's super smart, okay? New Day right now is not doing anything on the main roster. The Usos are champions. They can't challenge for the titles again. So why not use one of your most over acts in the company on a show whose ratings you're trying to build, and by the way, are actually going up already. Now, I ultimately thought that PD would keep the titles, and that was my prediction on the Ultimate Preview. And I figured that would be the case because Kofi already announced himself for the Royal Rumble. But looking back on it, I'm like, I kind of hate myself for it because that was old thinking, you know? Like Triple H is clearly more flexible than the prior regime. So he doesn't mind if people from the main roster are wrestling in NXT and perhaps become NXT champions because guess what? He'll have them wear the titles on the main roster and actually promote the third brand. And I really should have realized that when I laid this out on Thursday. Now, I do hope that New Day as champions, they don't hold it for like a month like Dolph Ziggler did. Let them go all the way to Vengeance Day with the straps. You could even make an argument for them to go to stand and deliver, but I cannot imagine there being a WrestleMania card again without New Day. So I would say have them take them all the way to Vengeance Day. And in terms of who beats them, it's really tough to say. Maybe a new team gets formed. You could have Indu Shur beat them for the titles because they're two really big, strong guys. And you can put over the physical element as the differential between them and smaller dudes, you know, relatively, and Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods. You could put the Creed brothers in that spot. You could do a triple threat where the Creeds pin Indu Shur or pin a third team and take the titles off of New Day. I think there's a lot of different things you could do but I do hope they delay it all the way out at least until Vengeance Day because I don't want them to have a 30-day reign. It looks like it's bullshit. I'd rather it be a little bit more real. Now, you know, the question is, how enthused is New Day to do this, to be in NXT? Are they reluctant to have gone down there? Uh, Will they continue showing up on SmackDown? I think they're going to. I don't think they're going to be relegated to NXT. Now, I'll tell you this, I'm going to request on Monday, an interview uh, through WWE with Kofi Kingston or Xavier Woods, or maybe both. And if they grant it to me, I will definitely ask them, I was going to say ask you that question. I'm not asking you guys anything. I'll definitely ask them that question. Uh, But if we do get New Day on SmackDown with the tag team titles for NXT, that's a huge positive. And I think that would be a good call if Triple H, Paul Levesque allows that. Before I forget, two more things here. First, Booker T was downright hilarious during this match. Second, Kofi tagged Woods for no reason other than to let Xavier get the fall at the end of the match. And this was clearly purposeful because Woods, when he was in NXT, he nearly got cut. And now he's back a decade later and he's winning a championship. Super cool moment. It was planned, obviously, but it was sweet nonetheless. And then lastly, we had the women's singles match that I mentioned, Alba Fire against Isla Dawn. This was second on the show. Fire went for a finish early. Dawn recovered and ripped off the middle turnbuckle. Alba later hit a great Escalera cannonball outside and a step-off tornado DDT inside. Then she had a tope suicida and gory bomb outside, plus a swanton bomb inside, and we're ready for the finish. Except when she goes to cover Dawn, she turns her head and sees a referee in the corner convulsing and spitting like black goo out of his mouth. By the time a new referee ran down, she only got a near fall. And then once that happened, that referee and another one went to check on the guy who's convulsing, spitting out black shit. And Isla Dawn throws Albafire neck first into the ropes, runs her into the exposed turnbuckle and hit her like sling blade finisher, which she really needs a better finisher to get the win in 10 minutes. Now, maybe I missed it, but what seemed to be absent here was an explanation for the referee getting sick. Now, if Dawn had touched him or spit mist in his face or like waved her hand and done some voodoo magic or witchcraft or whatever the case, that would have played better. And maybe I did miss it. So I'm going to go back and watch it because I I can't rewatch the entire show twice before I do the instant analysis. But I didn't see anything like that. And if they had added that, then I would have said, oh, okay. So they're really giving her real supernatural stuff, right? Um, But what I will say is the goal here, at least I assume, was for Alba to go out on her back and put Isla over and to do it without her getting pinned clean. And that was accomplished. On top of that, I thought we got a damn good wrestling match too. Slight downgrade for the finish, but I still went 3.25 stars and a B. So we had two matches on the show that were 3.25 stars. We had 4.25A for the uh, Tag Team Championship title change. We had 3.75 stars for the Women's Iron Survivor Challenge and 4.5 stars and an A for the Men's Iron Survivor Challenge. And I recap all of that for you because the next part of the show, we move into our final grades for NXT deadline. Now, first, let me give you a refresher on what my pre-show grade was. And I'll also share what your pre-show grade, uh, you, the Getting Overheads, you guys got an opportunity to vote on our Twitter account at Getting Overcast. So my grade was a flat B. Thought it would be a good show. I was concerned about the match concept, for Iron Survivor, and I didn't really think the title match uh, between Braunbreaker Breaker and Apollo Crews, I thought it would be a good match, but I didn't think there was a strong story behind it. I wasn't enthused and excited about it. And you listeners seem to agree. Uh, 12% of you came in with an A, 69% with a B, 17% C, 2% D to F, point-wise that averaged out to 3.4 out of 5, and guess what that is? It's a flat B, just like your boy, the Silver King. Uh, Now, before I get to my final grade and your final grade, I did listen, as I noted, to that NXT press conference. Shawn Michaels said that NXT Deadline was the best show NXT has done in a very, very long time. And I was trying to think about whether I agree with him on that. And I'm not sure I would actually go that far. It was probably just as good as Halloween Havoc. Slightly different. Maybe a little bit better the main event was definitely weaker. I would have to dive into both shows to see if that's accurate. But NXT has actually been putting on some pretty damn good shows. Like Worlds Collide was good. Many of their TV specials have been very solid to good. Um, I don't know if anything has been great, like as great as an NXT TakeOver, you know, was what those shows used to be. But they don't miss on their premium live events. Really, WWE doesn't miss on their premium live events. So do I agree with Sean that it was, the best they've done in a very, very long time. I think that's an exaggeration. But do I think it was a very good show? Absolutely. This was entertaining, under three hours, great action, the debut of a new stipulation match that will be around. Maybe they'll tweak it, but it will be around hopefully for a long time to come. And I did think top to bottom, they put on, you know, what you could almost say was a great show. It was as good as you could possibly ask for and expect without just a deluge of five-star matches from start to finish. Now, in terms of final grade, let's start with you all, the getting overheads. I did post an NXT deadline final grade poll. Yes, on our Twitter account, at Getting Overcast. You guys were extremely enthusiastic about this show. 43.8% said it was an A, 43.8% said it was a B, 10.9% said it was a C, and 1.6% D or F, and we know, and it's one thing if you think it's not going to be a good show going in. When you watch a show and you know it's good and someone gives it a DRF, you can throw those out of the window. So doing some quick math, those basically come to a 3.89 rounds up to a 3.9, which is a B plus. So you all thought it was a B plus, and I gotta say, I am right there with you. So a 3.9. Um, An 89 out of 100, 88, 89 out of 100. That's where I am for this show. It was extremely strong. Again, we had two A matches on the card. We also had two flat B matches and a B plus. And yeah, you know, that basically does, in terms of match quality, at least, it averages out to a B plus. There were some things on the show that I didn't particularly love that I would have, you know, liked to have done a little bit better. The final 30 seconds of the men's Iron Survivor Challenge, the really the entire NXT championship, but especially that final 60 seconds with the brawl and the, the trite finish that we always get. And then when it comes to that women's match, Alba Fire and Isla Dawn, just a little bit more explanation in terms of like why the referee got sick and, and how exactly that happened. But these are relatively minor nitpicks. I thought the pacing of the show was fantastic. There was the right number of matches, the right amount of time that we got in the ring with everything. Yes, if I had it, if I had my brothers, if I had the book, I would add five minutes to each of those Iron Survivor matches. I would see what those look like with a little bit more time with all five competitors in the ring. It did feel in those like a little bit of a rush to a finish. But I mean, these are relative nitpicks, right? Like it was a super entertaining show. Uh, when you, again, any pay-per-view, whether it's AEW, WWE, NXT, it doesn't really matter. When you sit down and watch a show that you pay for, and yes, you're paying for this, whether it's through your your Comcast subscription, your Xfinity subscription, or whether you're paying for Peacock, whatever the case, money is being spent to give you access to NXT Deadline, or certainly if you're buying a pay-per-view from another company. Uh, But when you're spending some level of money and you're spending your time on a Saturday night to sit down and watch a show, you want to be rewarded for it. And so a lot of these grades come down to, hey, did this meet and or exceed my expectations? And in this case, it not only met, but also exceeded... My expectation. So I'm at that B plus. I think anyone who voted A, I I don't see anything wrong with that. I respect that as an opinion. Um, I would say probably more of an A minus if you were going to be in that range. But really, again, we're nitpicking here. It's it's a very minor difference between all of these grades. The point is that NXT deadline was a successful show. There's really no question about that. So the 11 percent that said it was C, I, I that I don't get. Maybe you just thought it ended weekly, perhaps, Braun Breaker and Apollo Crews. And I can see that. that that's totally legitimate. But um, I don't see any way that you could make this a C show when the two signature matches, the Iron Survivor Challenges, were both great. I mean, one was tremendous. The other was extremely strong. And, you know, some might even like the women's match more than the men's match. Not me in this particular case. But I could certainly see other people liking it that, that much. And there were definitely a number of women in that match. Keanu James, as I mentioned earlier, who stood out completely. So that's the breakdown for NXT Deadline instant analysis style. Now, there may be some of you who listen to this entire show and you're like, hey, Silver King, uh, there were two special shows on Saturday, not one. Well, let me tell you something, folks. Number one, uh, Ring of Honor was a pay-per-view, Ring of Honor final battle. Uh, Number two, there was very little build to the entire card. And generally, given this is a very you know, small operation, all things considered, the Silver King only has so much time in his day and life. We are used to doing instant analysis for, you know, NXT shows, uh, WWE shows, and of course, AEW shows. We do not normally do it for Ring of Honor. But what I do promise to do is I will make sure I get an opportunity to watch Final Battle, and I will break down any key matches on the show that I find necessary this coming Thursday on our next NXT and AEW edition of the podcast. I did hear that the uh, FTR Briscoes dog collar match for the ROH uh, Tag Team Championships, I heard it was a banger. One of the best matches of the year, apparently, and one of the best tag team matches of the year. They've already had two other matches, both of which were fantastic. So it doesn't really surprise me that this would potentially be up there, but obviously I need to see it myself before I put it in that type of category. Uh, But I will do my best to see as much of a uh, Ring of Honor final battle as I can. Chances are I'll, I'll watch the entire thing, but I'm only gonna do deep dives or reviews for um, the matches that actually matter. We will cover all of that on Thursday's AEW NXT show. But between now and then, the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, it returns on Tuesday for your latest WWE episode, breaking down everything that went down already on SmackDown and will go down this coming Monday on Raw. So be sure not to miss that coming this Tuesday to your earholes via the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So on the way out from this NXT deadline, and analysis, let, let me throw a couple of reminders your way. Let me first begin by bringing to your attention that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast so please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a little time. Leave a five-star written review. Let everyone know how much you love the show. Tell them why they should subscribe. And hey, maybe mention these Infinite Analysis podcasts as one of your favorite things about Getting Over. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You get opportunities to participate in these polls. Send us tweets and DMs that we will read on the show. I know I didn't get an opportunity to do it today, as I already mentioned multiple times. It's a one-man operation. It's an instant analysis, late on my own, uh, Saturday night. I wanted to get it out for you as quick as possible if there are any tweets or dms that you guys sent through i'll make sure to read them on thursday show if they're applicable um, but if not please know that they were read i responded to a few of you best i could uh, but you certainly are not being ignored and if anyone who wants to send in uh, tweets, DMs, questions, comments, whatever the case for next week's shows, WWE, NXT, AEW, please feel free. I will do my best to get them on the air. But in addition to sending us that stuff, participating in the polls every single time we drop a new episode, we do it first on Twitter. We let that audience know, and we also tweet about wrestling news. So again, follow us on Twitter at Getting and that is it for the Silver King this evening thank you all once again for joining the latest instant analysis edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast at this point it is time for me to sign off and leave you with just three final words bye for now